Good morning, and welcome to the Redeemer's Refuge radio broadcast, brought to you by Redeemer Lutheran Church, One Deer Walk Lane in Charleston, a member congregation of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Redeemer Lutheran Church, help, hope, and home in the body of Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto each of you from God our Father and our Lord and King, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Generous God, you give us gifts and make them grow. Though our faith is small as a mustard seed, make it grow to your glory and the flourishing of your kingdom. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our reading for this eighth Sunday after Pentecost is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. The previous sermon in our series said we know from the Bible that Jesus lives. We considered the Bible both as God's Word and as reliable human reporting. Even skeptics who do not acknowledge the Bible as the Word of God would do well to heed especially the biblical writers who saw the Lord alive after he had died, like Matthew, John, Peter, or Paul. They provide direct eyewitness testimony. A case for Jesus' resurrection can also be made indirectly. Even when people ignore scripture, certain realities remain. You might call them stubborn, but they must be faced. The empty tomb stands out among these stubborn realities. The easiest way for Jesus' opponents to silence the proclamation, Christ is risen, would have been to take a field trip to the grave owned by Joseph of Arimathea, roll the stone away, and bring out the body of Jesus. But no one did this. Jerusalem was the spot where people began proclaiming that Jesus had, in fact, risen from the dead. Yet Jerusalem would have been the last place in the world where anyone would have listened to such resurrection preaching if Jesus' corpse went on display. A purely spiritual, non-physical rising might have appealed to Greek thinking, but Jews would have paid no mind to talk of any resurrection that left the body dead. Exhibiting Jesus' dead body would have derailed the gospel train when it had hardly left the station. Jesus' opponents had every motive to derail this proclamation, yet they never exhumed his body. Why? His tomb was empty. In their own way, Jesus' opponents themselves insisted on this. Some of the guards who had been on duty at the tomb told the chief priests all that had taken place. These men experienced the earthquake and saw the angel roll the stone back. They knew exactly what had happened, and these events terrified them. Now the religious leaders bribed them to say, His disciples came by at night and stole him away while we were asleep. Matthew noted that this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. About 120 years later, as noted by the church father Justin Martyr, Jewish authorities were still sending emissaries around the Mediterranean world to spread this story. Yet, this despicable deception did concede that the tomb was empty when that first Easter morning dawned. The empty tomb 
proves to be a stubborn reality. It remains so currently. These days, more than two-thirds of the reputable scholars who publish in the field of Christian origins, historians, and theologians affirm that the tomb in which Joseph of Arimathea and others buried Jesus on Friday afternoon stood empty on Sunday morning. Over two-thirds. This statistic may seem surprising because such widespread awareness of the empty tomb has not filtered down to a lot of textbooks and magazine articles. Yet, the fact remains. Most scholars now say that the reality of the empty tomb should not be denied. It is stubborn, all right. Now, the reality that the tomb was empty does not by itself prove Jesus' resurrection. It does raise a question, though. How did his tomb become empty? Broadly speaking, two possibilities exist. The tomb was emptied either by natural means or supernatural means. Over the years, many have come forth with with what they deem as reasonable, natural explanations for the empty tomb. After all, it seems reasonable that no one can rise from the dead. The first natural explanation was the one reported in our text, the claim that Jesus' disciples stole his body. While the disciples could not pull off such a grave robbery, they found themselves shattered and shivering, dispirited, demoralized, and despairing. Peter might have provided leadership in this situation, but his threefold denial of Christ sent him reeling. Would he have come up with the boldness to steal Jesus' body in death when he could not own up to being associated with Jesus in life? Peter was in no condition to play Jim Phelps or Ethan Hunt and ramrod a sort of mission impossible operation, that is why they would have needed to get past the guards who had been posted to prevent such an attempt. Guards in the ancient world used to sleep in shifts. Even one alert guard could have easily awakened help at the first sign of grave robbers, to say nothing of the noise from rolling the stone away. Could the disciples have stolen Jesus' body before the guards took their position? Possibly, But that would have been at the point of the disciples' deepest shock when they had the least time to plan and to coordinate some daring feat. And then the chief priests could eventually have ordered the guards simply to state that they found the tomb empty already upon their arrival. Instead of getting these guards to make the false report that the theft occurred on their watch, the stolen body theory will not hold water. Too many holes. Now, there are other theories, other, quote, reasonable explanations, Maybe the women who had witnessed Jesus' burial became confused when they came out early Easter morning and ended up at the wrong tomb. Not the one where Jesus had been buried, but an empty one. But then again, the resulting confusion could have been cleared up rather quickly. Jesus' body would have been located. The wrong tomb theory does not hold water. Then there is the swoon theory, which suggests that Jesus did not really die on the cross. He passed out, but revived in the cool of the tomb. Then he somehow got out, saw several of his followers, and managed to convince them that, well, he was just fine after all. Of course, the theory continues. He was not just fine, and he died in 40 days. Remember, however, that Jesus had been hanging on a cross not for a mere few minutes, but for six long hours. That came after he had been savagely beaten by Pilate's order early Friday morning. Recall, too, that the execution squad thrust a spear into his side to make sure he was dead. Roman crucifixion details did not leave survivors. 
that spear in Jesus' side alone pokes a massive hole in the swoon theory. Yet another theory ventures the claim that Jesus' followers experienced one or more hallucinations. And as a group, according to this theory, they wanted so much to see Jesus alive that they became convinced that they had seen him, one after another as the hallucination grew contagious. But far from having reached any height of expectation to see Jesus, these followers had all their hopes dashed upon his death. Besides, to account for the resurrection through hallucination would have required not one or two people to have, quote, seen Jesus, but groups as numerous as 500 and more, all seeing the same thing. Then they all ceased seeing him at exactly the same time, 40 days later. Moreover, a hallucinated Jesus could not have been touched and would not have eaten a piece of fish as we have previously noted. And the hallucination theory in no way accounts for the stubborn fact of the empty tomb. The hallucination theory and all the other reasonable explanation theories do not clear up matters as much as they open up problems. So what gives these theories their staying power? Experience, for one thing. I mean, people do not rise from the dead in our experience, so it becomes tempting to conclude that no one ever could. But applied strictly, this kind of reasoning would rule out anything new ever occurring. This thinking begs the question, how often does something have to happen before anyone recognizes that it happened? Yet, there is more to the staying power of these theories. They result from stubbornness, the stubbornness of unbelief. They amount to stubborn attempts to account for the stubborn reality of the empty tomb. They try to evade the truth of the resurrection, and with it, the truth that Jesus is God. To put it mildly, these evasions go to considerable, even fanciful, lengths. Lest we become too smug, though, let us recall that we are we Christians, we remain sinners in this world. As such, we too try to evade God's will and ways starting with failing to trust him completely at every moment and with every step. Yet God's law remains stubborn too. You cannot get rid of it by trying to explain it away. As much as with other sinners, our old Adam stubbornly wants to travel the road away from God, and by ourselves we would be powerless to head in any other direction. Yet, although we do not deserve it, our God has come to us with his grace and salvation. Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. He went through being abandoned on the cross, even crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, to take our place under God's wrath and make it so that no one has to be without God for all eternity. Then he rose. He rose from the dead in utter reality. In Lutheran Television's old animated program, Easter Is, a boy named Benji struggles with sadness when his dog Waldo gets lost a few days before Easter. Tearfully, Benji concludes that he will never see his beloved dog again. But on Easter morning, as the family walks out to their car to go to church, Waldo bounds up. What a reunion! The narrator tells us Waldo came back because of his love for Benji. There lies the connection with Easter. Jesus, God with us, loved us so much that he could not stay away. Not even death could keep him from us. Jesus himself lives and personally imparts to us his peace. He remains resolute and determined in this. More than determined, we might also call him stubborn. More stubborn than death itself. His gracious reaching out to a rebellious world turns out to be the most stubborn reality of them all. It certainly qualifies as not only the most stubborn, but also the most blessed reality in the life of every Christian. It has made all the difference for us. 
And even when unbelievers try to evade Christ's forgiving love or explain it away, Jesus keeps on reaching out, even through you and me. More than his death-defeating power, the resurrection shows Christ's resolute, strong, even stubborn love. No natural explanation can account for such love. It can come only from God. God's love for undeserving sinners does not seem reasonable by any reason we know. It is grace. The Lord reaches out with his grace through means. Jesus told his church to go and make disciples, and this is how you do it. By baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and also by teaching all that I have commanded you. The guards mentioned earlier were taught to spread a false natural explanation of the empty tomb. The church, by contrast, has been taught and teaches about the stubborn reality of the empty tomb by setting forth the true supernatural explanation. We do not omit teaching Christ's strong and stubborn love either. With this love, his work culminating in his resurrection turns out not to be just news or really big news, but the greatest good news. It is the word that makes disciples. For the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Everyone needs Christ, and he came for all. And more, he still comes through his gospel. Let's finish with this. Although people stubbornly try to evade the reality of the empty tomb, the risen Lord keeps coming in grace through his word. Amen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let us pray. O God, whose providence orders all things in heaven and earth, keep from us everything harmful And lead us to all that is good, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. Thank you for giving us a brief moment of your day. We invite you to come and receive the Lord's blessing through word and sacrament as we gather on Sunday mornings at 1045 for our worship service. We're located at 1 Deer Walk Lane, just off the Paula Road exit on Corridor G. You can find us on the web at RedeemerWV.org and on Facebook at Redeemer Lutheran Church WV. Thank you, and may God bless your day.